Welcome to Setsing. Could you please talk about the topic, Stop Believing in Thoughts, today? Well, there's nothing really wrong with believing in thoughts. Except if those thoughts are in some way going to cause resistance in you. Thoughts of themselves are reasonably harmless. It's what you back them with that makes a difference uh, in your consciousness levels. And so if we have a whole pile of belief systems, which are made up of thoughts, that cause contraction in us when the expectations of those belief systems aren't met, then there's a problem because that contracting and that resisting takes you into lower consciousness, into a deeper dream. And so when we, when we look at the mind, basically it is in itself just a tool uh, that can be used in life. But we get programmed uh, at school and by our parents and by our government and our religions to believe a whole pile of things that haven't been our own direct experience. In other words, we didn't discover these beliefs for ourselves. And on examination, we'll find there's quite a lot of those beliefs that don't have any evidence to support them. Um, and this causes a problem because uh, if we just believe without uh, looking, without experiencing for ourselves, we're basically being brainwashed. And so <clears throat> people are brainwashed to believe all sorts of things. And they get really uh, defended and upset when uh, things don't go their way. And that's a shame because there's no need to do that. There's no need to suffer in that way. So for me, I started examining belief systems really thoroughly when I was about 19 years old because I recognized that a lot of the belief systems put into me by my schooling, <coughs> by my parents, um, by my religion, weren't based in any kind of reality. They were just ideologies. <clears throat> and as such, uh, caused contraction in me when uh, they were challenged. Because I believed them to be real. And um, sadly, that caused suffering in me. And so I started to examine these belief systems and anything that wasn't my own direct experience, in other words, my own discovery, uh, I put in a maybe column rather than a I know that to be true column. And by putting it in a maybe column, the belief itself lost a lot of its power. And as a result of it losing a lot of its power, uh, I didn't get caught in it anymore. I didn't get caught in trying to defend it, um, arguing with people, getting righteous over things that I really didn't know about. And there was a lot of freedom in that. 
a lot of freedom in not getting caught in belief systems that had been programmed into me by other others. And that challenging of belief systems went on for the for another 20 odd years because I had so many in me. I I had so many belief systems put in me by by my parents, by my government, by my religion, by my schooling, by my peers, so many beliefs. And upon examination, I saw that they're all prisons in a way. And I wasn't interested in being a prisoner of my mind, a prisoner of beliefs that weren't even my own direct experience. And so I'm not the kind of person who has faith in that that is not provable faith in that that is not my own direct experience and from that aspect I only teach what is my own direct experience uh, I don't teach any other ideologies or ideas or understandings if it hasn't been my own direct experience because I think that teaching beliefs is teaching imprisonment You've got to find out for yourself. You've got to investigate for yourself. There's no point um, just taking things on. There's no point in being a believer. <laughs> no point at all. But it's completely up to you. you. You have a look. You have a look at the beliefs that have been put inside of you. Do they, are they true? Is it your own direct experience? Did you find out this for yourself or have you just taken on something that uh, everybody else believed? And so for me, when I was, uh, when I was young, I was led to believe that uh, the communism was coming down through Asia and that I needed to get ready to go and fight the Viet Cong because uh, communism was creeping through Asia and was going to take over Australia or something. So we're going to go up there and defend our country. Now that turned out to be a whole pile of rubbish. Communism wasn't coming down through Asia to take over Australia. That just wasn't true. But that particular belief system was programmed into me that communism was really bad and that uh, we were in jeopardy as a result of it and I needed to um, go to war. And it's just a belief system. It wasn't even true. And so it's worth examining belief systems that have been put into you that aren't your own direct experience. It's worth investigating your own mind and your own life to see what is true and what is not true. But it's really up to you. Nobody, <laughs> nobody can examine those beliefs but you. I love the freedom of having doubt. I love the freedom of uh, it might be true, it might not be true, or sounds true, but maybe not true. I love that freedom. When we get caught in, I'm right, you're wrong, this is my belief, and you're wrong, wow, man, we've gone to war. There's no peace in that. There's no love in that. And so a lot of these belief systems that were programmed into us are actually anti-love because they contract us and create resistance in us uh, against others and I really don't think that's the way to live
That's not the way of the heart. Love everybody. But to love everybody, you can't be contracting against them. You can't be in resistance against them. How can you be? It's the moment we go into resistance, the moment we defend ourselves, we close ourselves off from love. I think uh, a lot of the wars, a lot of the terrorism in the world are created by belief systems. I believe this and I believe you're wrong and what a load of rubbish. Belief systems are all prisons and they get people killed. But you as an individual can start examining your own mind to see what belief systems do you have and are they real or are they something that was put in your head by someone else that you've never really examined. It's worth having a look. Then we get down to other things like uh, we have belief systems like, oh, people shouldn't betray me. And people go, oh, well, that's a good belief system. No, it's not. It's a bad belief system because people do betray. The truth is human beings betray quite a bit. And for us to actually hold a belief system that they shouldn't betray us is us being out of touch with the reality of the world we live in. And every time someone does betray us because we hold this belief system, we're likely to contract and go into resistance and go into suffering, which we create for ourselves because there's an expectation on the belief system we shouldn't be betrayed. And so that was one of the ones that I found more difficult to remove um, because pretty much like everyone else, I was programmed to believe that people shouldn't betray me, but they do. It's like people lie, people thieve, people do all sorts of things that uh, we could call unsavory, but that's the world we live in. And what brings peace is acceptance of the world we live in not resistance to it. Resistance just darkens the place. Anger, wow, talk about take existence down the chute. All these angry protesters. Anger is a form of violence. You don't fix the world with violence. You fix it with openness and love. And the only way that you can be open and love and find love is to be an acceptance of life as it is rather than in resistance to it. And people say, well, if I'm in acceptance of it, nothing will change. Rubbish. Of course you can change things from acceptance, from openness. Of course you can. You just don't do it from an angry place or a resistant place. You do it from an open place. And that place will have clarity because it's not blinded by emotionality, blinded by anger. It's, it's actually clear. It's clean. It's crisp. It's powerful. But it takes a certain level of maturity to not get involved in violence. Uh, people probably don't think anger is, is violent. Of course it's violent. Have another look at it. <laughs> of course it's violent. If you're an angry person, you're a violent person. Have a look. Get honest with yourself. Get real. And any time we support that, we take ourselves into lower consciousness because anger is always supported by a dream of some kind. You've done something wrong. <laughs> it's like, yeah, really? How about reality? It's so nice. Why do you want to dream all the time? And so, uh, the belief, anger is quite often based, uh, brought about by our belief that something should be different than how it is. And that belief is also examinable and see if it's real or not real too. 
or you can just remain a victim uh, and be angry for the rest of your life and be right and suffer incredibly for the rest of your life, but you'll be right. There's a price for that righteousness. Yeah. I'm into peace. I'm into freedom. Uh, doesn't mean that it makes me ineffective in the world. I could protest if I wanted to, raise funds for something if I wanted to, change something if I wanted to, but I'd do it from a place of openness, non-contraction, non-resistance. We don't become ineffective because we practice openness and acceptance. We can be more effective. And that's up to you. As your consciousness levels rise, you get to see that you don't want to create suffering for yourself. And you don't. While you're in lower consciousness, you do create suffering for yourself by resisting life, by contracting, by being defended. That creates suffering in you. But you do it to you. It's not the world doing it to you. The world is just doing what the world does. You're the one that creates the suffering with your resistance to life. So it's up to you. How are you going to live? Belief systems. All rubbish. Be free. Challenge them all. Let them all go. Put doubt in every one of them. Be free. Be happy. Be, be at peace. Be in acceptance of life. You're going to create your reality by the way you think. The world doesn't create it for you. You create it for you. Any questions? Any statements? Any challenges to this teaching today? The first question is, I sometimes get hurt in relationship because my partner doesn't say I love you back to me when I say it. In these moments of hurt, I start to breathe slowly and consciously repeat to myself, the expectation that he should say I love you is not in line with reality. Is this an example of removing belief systems? It's definitely headed in the right direction. <laughs> but you know, here's the thing about love. It doesn't, it's not about getting love from someone else. If that's all you're interested in, you become a beggar. It's about finding love inside of you so you become an oasis of love for everybody. And we do that by being wide open, by openness, undefendedness, vulnerability. It supports love. And so it's not about getting it from someone else. It's about you being open enough to support love in you so you become an oasis for others. And if love's truly affecting us, if love is truly affecting our mind, we just want to give. We just want to take care of. We don't want anything back. Because that's how love affects our minds. It's only a, it's only a contracted ego that has low self-worth that really wants to try and get it out. It turns itself into a beggar to try to get love outside itself. Find a way to open up. Find a way to move through the world without defences so you can perceive love without any barriers. The ball's in your court. You're producing it all. That's, that's the lucky bit. You're responsible. You can change it. You can make it work. You can find love. It's up to you. Open up.
What's beyond the mind when I don't listen to my thoughts? Yeah, silence, stillness. There's something aware of the mind and aware of what it's doing and through the mind and the senses, the world. What's beyond the mind is this that's aware of the mind. It's before the mind and it's us. We are that. Before the mind, we are that. And it's aware of the mind, but it's not aware of itself. So someone who's enlightened has this that's aware of the mind, aware of itself, and that's ongoing, that's enlightenment. And so what's beyond the mind is knowing yourself as truth because we are pure awareness and when it's aware of itself we know that in every moment. That's what's beyond the mind, reality. There's nothing real about the mind. It's a dream. Take away thoughts and there's no there's nothing. Take away your imagination and, and the mind is not real because all thoughts are imagined. What's beyond the mind is reality. But what most people live as is a lie that calls itself I. And I is made up of thoughts which aren't real. They're imagined. Take away your thoughts and who are you? What are you really? What is this that is simply always aware and it's always here? What's this that's aware of the mind? Find that and start living as truth rather than living as an ego, which is not who you are. How can I know, um, how can I know if I'm living in excessive thought? <laughs> what a silly question. Anything else? <laughs> you got to be kidding. Uh, the next question is, you spoke about experiencing things for ourselves rather than just believing. How can I experience myself as being this? Well, that's enlightenment. So the truth is you can't because the eye disappears. People don't understand that bit. The eye doesn't ever wake up. It doesn't become enlightened. That's not a possibility. It's a dream in itself. It actually atrophies after awakening occurs because it's seen for what it is. Absolutely false. It's not who we are. Take away your future. Take away your past. Take away your thoughts. Who are you? Because you're here. What is this that is here? What is this that's aware? That's of interest. But to wake up and stay awake for enlightenment to occur takes a fair bit on the part of the mind because the mind has to be able to support that. Awakening itself is rather simple. Awareness becoming aware of itself. But a mind that will support that is a mind that won't contract and attract attention to itself. And so then you're talking about a mind that is equanimous, a mind that doesn't get rattled, a mind that has actually practiced acceptance and can surrender. And that's something that you actually have to create. It's not something you were born with, not something you were programmed with genetically or causally. And so higher consciousness, it actually takes effort because we have to change our default patterning to support higher consciousness. And super consciousness, we have to learn surrender.
that takes effort. It is easy enough for awareness to become aware of itself, but for it to stay aware of itself, the mind needs to be able to support it. And this is where a lot of spiritual seekers fall down. They think, oh, all I need is a Satori. And no, that's not all you need. <laughs> a Satori is just a glimpse. It's like, a, it's like an invitation to do the work. It's an invitation. It's an insight. And if you do the work and create a mind that will support enlightenment, well, then you've, you've done the right thing to raising your consciousness levels, opening your heart and getting free. That's going to be up to you, though, because you're the one creating your reality, nobody else. You want to experience yourself as beingness? Find yourself someone who's awake, who can help take you apart, help show you the way. That's the best. I have heard a saying that we must have the inner strength and willpower to constantly consciously shift our thoughts towards sattvic balance and purpose. What is your understanding of this? Yeah, there's a certain truth in that. We, uh, an undisciplined mind isn't really going to be able to support enlightenment or higher consciousness. Uh, everybody has a disciplined mind to some degree because we all went to school and we had to learn to sit in class and pass exams and uh, dress in a certain way and behave in a certain manner. So everybody's being disciplined. But the type of discipline that's required for higher consciousness is usually uh, experienced or learnt through the practice of meditation, the practice of yoga, the practice of self-inquiry, the practice of watching the mind. These practices, oh, including the practice of openness and acceptance, these practices are the right practices to get a mind in the right place to support higher consciousness. And without these practices, the mind is not trained and not ready for higher consciousness. And so it's, there's a certain truth in it that we actually have to develop. Um, I wouldn't call it willpower. I just call it discipline. You see, usually people have got monkey minds. They're all over the place. A mind that has been trained will stay still. A mind that is trained will have a program that watches itself, an observer. A mind that is really well trained is just a toolbox. It's used and then it's, the toolbox is put away when it's not being used. This is a well trained mind. This is a mind that will support higher consciousness and enlightenment because the mind is equanimous. It's at peace with itself. But that takes a fair bit of practice. The more I practice present moment awareness, the more I'm experiencing peace. However, I sometimes feel there's a boredom there as well. Can thoughts and emotions be addictive? So you've made a statement about boredom and peace, and then you're asking me if thoughts and emotions can be addictive, which has nothing to do with the previous statement. Mm, that's a pretty disjointed um, paragraph. 
a statement with a with a question attached to it that has nothing to do with the statement. Sorry, I'm not going to answer that. The next question is, sometimes I think I accept a situation, but then notice myself contract about it at a later time. How can I accept something fully? Probably pretty much impossible unless you really practice the acceptance. Most people are practiced at procrastination, at worry. And so they make a decision and then they worry about the decision or they procrastinate it because worry is a form of procrastination because they don't actually have a disciplined mind. They have a monkey mind that actually allows itself to worry, allows itself to procrastinate. Someone who has a mind that has actually been trained will make a decision and stand by the decision without worry, without procrastination because the mind's been trained that way, it's been programmed that way. If you can't do that, it's because your mind has not been trained that way. It's that simple. You want a mind that will accept, you have to practice acceptance, not procrastination. Because whatever we practice, we get very good at. And if your mind is very good at procrastination, that's what it's going to do until you die. <laughs> if you practice acceptance, eventually acceptance becomes the default pattern and you have a totally different way of operating in the world, a way that is peaceful, a way that is quite lovely. There is no joy in procrastination. There is no joy in worry. These are forms of suffering. I've heard some teachers say, without our thoughts, the world doesn't exist. Is that your experience? Pretty much. Unless my eyes are open. <laughs> but if my eyes are shut without a thought, the world doesn't exist. It's true. But if my eyes are open, uh, I can see this, I can see that. There doesn't need to be a thought, but, you know, you obviously, there's obviously a world here. And if I shut my eyes, nope, nothing here, all gone. Because when I shut my eyes, my mind is silent. Nothing here. Then I open my eyes and here the world is. And so uh, that teacher who stated, uh, without thoughts, the world doesn't exist, <clears throat> uh, must have had his eyes shut. Uh, Tanya from Facebook has a comment question. She says, life lessons, I call it. You call it toolbox, yes? No, I call the mind a toolbox. Uh, I'll give an example of that. When I stop talking, my mind doesn't talk. It stays silent. If I want to use my mind to calculate something, I can use it but otherwise it stays silent. So it's like I take the mind uh, out of the toolbox and use it, and when I've finished using it, it goes back into the toolbox, back into silence. That's what I mean by uh, a toolbox. Uh, life lessons, well, they happen to everybody. Um, we can either learn by them or not. Usually these are upsets. Uh, if we, if we see them as lessons, if we see life as our teacher, we can learn a great deal about freedom. We can learn a great deal about acceptance, which gives us freedom. But most people resist lessons and go into some kind of victim-orientated thinking where they blame themselves or the world or someone else for what's happening, and they miss the lesson completely. 
Everything out there is going to teach us surrender, if we allow it. But as far as uh, the toolbox is concerned, I'm only referring to the mind and referring to how it can be used as a tool and then put back down once it's been finished being used. That's all. The next question is, do all thoughts need to be discounted or are there some helpful and positive thoughts that have value? Well, it depends on what you're doing. At a high level of... Uh at a high level of consciousness, when you're going for enlightenment, uh, thoughts are kind of in the way. The only thought that's worth having is the thought, who am I? Or who's aware? Everything else is kind of in the way. So at the high end, before enlightenment, you get all these little helper thoughts that want to measure everything for you. Oh, how, how spacious am I? How silent am I? How long have I been doing this for? And these thoughts are actually in the way, so they're problematic. But that's just the ego trying to hide out as helper thoughts. Uh, but lower down in, in scale, uh, you don't need to discount thoughts. Just have awareness on uh, what's real. Just be aware of what's real instead of uh, what you're thinking. Your foot falls if you're walking, your arms swing, everything around you is real. The only thing that's not real is what you think. And uh, up until the age of four or five, that's where we lived in reality. We had our awareness on what was real. Then we went to school and learned to live in our heads. Now that's a problem because our heads are problematic. They're constantly trying to solve things. That causes uh, us suffering. So it's best to get out of our minds by putting our awareness on what is real. And pretty much everything's real except what you think. Is it possible to not think at all as a human being? <laughs> I think I answered that question just a little while ago. Anything else? Can you speak about the Buddhist concept of right thought? What is right thought? From my perspective, it's really, really simple. I, I, I've studied right, the Buddhist understanding of right thought, and it's quite complex. But my understanding of right thought is really, really, really simple. Anything that creates contraction in your mind is wrong thoughts. Because anything that creates contraction in your mind takes you into lower consciousness. Now, if we've practiced acceptance enough in life, we can have thoughts without contracting. We can have thoughts without resistance. And so I'm not against thoughts, not at all. I'm, if anything, against resisting life, being defended against life, because that's what takes us and keeps us in lower consciousness and out of touch with their own hearts. And so when it comes down to the concept of right thoughts, which is part of the Eightfold Path, I keep it really, really simple. Anything that contracts or creates resistance is wrong way of thinking. I sometimes notice my mind is chattering to itself, preparing for the day. Where does the yearning come from to be in control and know what the future holds? Oh, it's a primal program for survival. Our projections to the future are us endeavouring to be safe 
and so we do that to be safe unfortunately it's a dream it's not real there's actually nothing safe we just have this dream that things are safe uh, the projections aren't real we actually don't know what's going to happen next uh, the yearning for control is a primal uh, imperative a primal program that protects us uh, from dying um, because we project this is dangerous that's dangerous and we keep away from it but the truth is we can live in the moment and we can be very happy in the moment it's pretty hard to uh, live in your mind and be happy because the mind is not programmed for happiness it's programmed is programmed for trying to control you're right right on and when we try to control everything we're in resistance to life and resistance to life is suffering. I find myself contract when things don't go right and start to worry. What would help me to just be in acceptance of everything? Well, unless you've practiced acceptance, you're not going to be good at it. So nothing can help you. You're beyond help. Unless you've practiced acceptance, there's nothing can help you because you're going to run true to your default patterning, whatever that might be. Uh, someone who's actually good at acceptance has practiced acceptance. There's no easy way. Whatever you practice is what you're going to be good at. If you can't um, relax, if you can't be in acceptance of life, it's because you've never practiced it. How to just simply witness and not be identified with my judgmental thoughts? Well, you, for me, I started meditating, watching the breath. And after a while, I started watching my mind as well uh, from um, a detached space. But it began with watching the breath. I was a meditator and I'd watch the breath. I watch it uh, come in, I'd watch it turn to go out and I watch it go out. And I'd continue watching it for hours. And uh, this witness that just witnessed it was there. And eventually this witness became the observer of my own mind, which allowed detachment from the mind as well. But that was brought about through the practice of uh, watching the breath, uh, meditation. I've heard teachers say, to stop the search. Does this just mean to stop following my thoughts? Uh, when you're in the presence of someone who's awake, they might, stay, they might say to you, stop seeking because you just need to be with them. Um, so they say, call off the search. But really, uh, a teacher is there to point to the truth and to fire up your thirst for the truth because it's only your thirst for the truth that will uh, allow you to do what's required to support enlightenment or support high consciousness. And so the call off the search thing is really just about when you're in the presence of someone who's awake, just be with that presence because it's a doorway into your own true nature. It's a doorway to enlightenment. But as long as you're still searching while you're in that presence, you're kind of caught in your mind still. So call off the search and just be with the presence. But I don't think any teacher would try to encourage a seeker not to seek. 
because the job of a teacher, the job of someone who's awake, who's teaching, is to point to the truth and to fire up the thirst for those who are interested. Before you discount the statement of the philosopher Descartes, I think, therefore, I am. Can you explain why you disagree with this statement? Yeah, you got it wrong. I am, therefore, I think. <laughs> People, <laughs> he thought that because he thought he was, I'm telling you we already are before thought arises, and that's a fact. We are already. Before thought begins, we are. Therefore, I am. Therefore, I think. Is it possible to go to the state of presence directly without questioning all the stressful thoughts? Yes, it is. Self-inquiry will take you there. Uh, the problem is you won't be able to stay there. This is uh, the downfall of Advaita Vedanta. People think they can just self-inquire, find themselves in truth and stay. No, it doesn't happen. If you haven't prepared the mind for what you find, it's not going to support it. Even uh, Ramana Maharshi, an advocate of uh, Advaita Vedanta, a very famous sage from the 1950s, said that the, the people who are ready for self-inquiry have already done the other work. They've already done all the meditations, the asanas, the, the chanting, whatever else. And then self-inquiry. And then self-inquiry works because the mind's been prepared for it. Otherwise, the mind doesn't uh, support what's found. A mind that will support what is found is a mind that can stay quiet. <laughs> a mind that actually doesn't contract and go to resistance with the world. And so, yeah, you can go directly. You can get a satori by self-inquiring. Sure. But all it is, is an invitation to do the work. Nothing else. You have said that we are living wherever our awareness is. How do we switch our focus off the thoughts and more on beingness? Self-inquiry. Who's aware of the thoughts? What's aware of the thoughts? Ask the question. That's how you do the switch. Self-inquiry is very effective. It works, though it has to be practiced continuously. I love what Ramana said about it. He said, he was asked the question, uh, when should I stop self-inquiring? And his answer was so beautiful. He said, when there's no one left to inquire. And he's right. That's when self-inquiry should stop. Can self-inquiry still be helpful to a seeker who has not surrendered everything? Only in that it can give you a glimpse and fire up the thirst for more, because you get a glimpse of uh, reality, you get a glimpse of your true nature, and the mind goes, ooh, I want some more of that. And so it fires up the thirst for it, that's about all it's good for. Uh, with the thirst, because once, you, once you've experienced yourself as being this, you recognize that living as a mind is like living in a prison and uh, you want to get out of that prison. You want to get free. You want freedom. And so then you do what's required to get out of the prison. You, you try to get free. Uh, if you don't know you're in prison, which most of the world's population, they don't know, well, you're not going to try to get out of it, are you? 
So the seeker is someone who's realized they're in prison who wants to get out of it. And so you have a Satori and it fires up that thirst for more. It's pretty cool. How to give up all the thoughts of what I want and desire and just be? Well, it's simple. Just put truth first. Or you can put heart first. Either way. I have this amazing deal with heart back in the, the 90s sometime, early 90s. Everything for heart and nothing for me. And it turned out to be a damn good deal. Uh, at the end of the 90s, the deal changed. Everything for truth and nothing for me. That was a good deal too. I gave my life to truth. Everything dropped away after that. I've read that it's a good idea to stop thinking. So I try to practice it, but I find it just causes a lot of thoughts to happen. Do some thoughts create less Well, you're doing it the wrong way. If you want to stop thinking, put your awareness on what's real. And keep your awareness on what's real. The most obvious thing that's real to all human beings is their own breath, because if they're not breathing, they're dead. But if you're alive, it's there. You put your awareness on your breath. You abandon thoughts and you put your awareness on your breath. You come back to the breath every time a thought appears. You just come back to the breath. And so you, what you're doing is practicing, putting awareness on what is real, instead of entertaining dream. As long as you entertain dream, you're just going to dream. You want to get back to reality, you've got to abandon the dream by putting awareness on what is real. This is called meditation. I find if I spend a lot of time with people who worry, I can start to worry too. How to get free from patterns of survival and out of my thoughts of worry? So I'll simplify the question for you. How to stop worrying? Stop worrying. Don't entertain it. Um, worry was the first program that I challenged in my mind uh, to change. Uh, we can change our patterning in our mind. It's a little hard. Uh, after the age of about nine, but we can change it because after the age of nine, all our patterns are default patterns, which means they happen automatically and unconsciously, including worry. But worry was one of the things I spotted when I was 19, and I saw, hmm, my mum worries a fair bit. I've inherited it, and uh, I could see how much suffering it caused in her, and then I got to see how much suffering it caused in me, and I thought, this is just a pattern. Let's see if we can't stop it. And so every time worry arose and it was, I became conscious that it was worry, I stopped it. So I had developed two patterns, one of watching to see if worry was there, and the second pattern was stopping. No negotiation, just stopping. And I'd practiced that particular methodology for a couple of years, and by the time I was about 21, I didn't worry anymore because my mind wasn't supporting a default pattern of worry. I developed a new pattern of not worrying. And that's how we change patterns in the mind. Usually we just stop them because they're detrimental. I don't think I added too many programs. Just started removing the ones that were detrimental. By the way, worry and procrastination are pretty much the same thing. And so I saw procrastination as something that worth stopping as well. I considered it worry, so I just stopped that too. You want to be real, 
don't worry <laughs> and don't procrastinate be with what's real Arun has a question Arun how are you today good I'm good thanks I won't uh, I won't ask you how you are today because I know what you'll say ah how, how rude of you <laughs> I've asked you a question too many times <laughs> I do have a question for you today though my question is so I'm having with my practice I'm having um, a good time it's good when I when I ask myself the question basically um, it's a variant on who am who am I um, it's a self-inquiry practice the question I ask is to whom is all this perception happening as in everything that's happening around me and it it has this very centering effect um, it almost like going within myself and okay. so my sorry you go first no, go ahead I'm listening to you well I was just gonna ask is is this self-inquiry what you essentially describe as the mind turning on itself it could be but it's too complex okay I like I, I like the question who's aware yeah or, or what's aware so any yeah. thought arose in my mind and the question would arise also who's aware the moment we make something complex we're engaging the mind too much okay you know the less words we can use in self-inquiry the better really okay yeah I've, I've got another one for you what look if you ask who's aware and you start finding the silence and the stillness you can ask yourself the question you to you can ask yourself the question describe the emptiness that you are and if yeah. you describing that silence and that stillness and that emptiness it's another form of self-inquiry that takes you further and further back into awareness yeah and that's very effective as well but to get to there first of all you've got to ask who's aware and find the silence and stillness yeah yes and even when you say it then when i think of my more complex question my that i ask myself the base of that question is exactly like you said it's who's aware yeah, and that's, it's that same centering kind of dropping back kind of and if you want to go further you can ask uh, this, i used to do this with my partner at night time we used to do self-inquiry late at night and we'd yeah. be asking the question who's aware and then we'd be describing it because if you try to describe pure awareness you're going to come up with silence and stillness and emptiness and nothingness and vastness and no yeah. bound you're going to start describing awareness and in so doing you're turning awareness further onto itself yeah so is that what you mean by the mind turning in on itself or when you say that is that something different? it's awareness turning in on itself okay that that's aware of the mind is turning back to itself and yeah. the is assisting this by describing what it's looking at what it's seeing what it's aware of did you say i'm resisting it by describing it or no not not at all not resisting it you, by 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 describing awareness by the mind describing awareness awareness yeah. further back onto itself but but also the mind is interrupting that stillness correct to describe it it doesn't matter 
it's okay. it's like you're using a thorn to remove a thorn yeah. <laughs> throw them both away yeah well this is essentially what i'm experiencing now and it, uh, yesterday i was i did it for almost 30 minutes in between two patients i was just you know walking laps around around where the clinic is and it was great but I, my follow-up question to this question is that the um the mind obviously interrupts these periods where I'm resting in awareness and, and often it comes with, you know, the usual habitual thought pattern. So my follow-up question to you was when you talk about preparing the mind for um, self-inquiry and, and enlightenment, you mean that I should, I should get to the root of the interruptive thought patterns and try and deconstruct them, right? No, I'm not talking about that. Okay. When if, if awakening occurs and awareness becomes aware of itself and stays aware of itself, in other words, locks on to some degree to itself, the yeah, mind yeah. is still there and it's aware of itself and it's also aware of the mind. Yeah, now, yeah. if the mind starts contracting and going into resistance, awareness is likely to pull itself away from itself and back completely onto the mind. That's what happens to me. And so that's why we have to learn to actually deconstruct the mind so it doesn't constantly contract. Yes. So is that what you mean by preparing the mind? Yes. Okay. And so how do I deconstruct these habitual useless thought patterns? Well, you've got to move to acceptance rather than resistance. And in moving to acceptance, you'll find that there's a whole pile of belief systems that support that resistance. Those belief systems have to have doubt thrown into them so they don't have power. Yeah, so essentially what I've been doing with, I don't know if I'm doing it the right way, but when these, when belief systems come up, there are some that are very vague and I don't know where they come from, and, but there are many, many and the far greater quantity of um, belief systems that interrupt my stillness are things that I know are just part of, for lack of a better word, I don't know, like my the, the false I or the, the limited self, whatever you want to call it. And then when I question it and I say, um, you know, for example, let, let's take, um, let's take anger, for example. Fre uh, frequently I feel anger towards things and I ask myself, well, to whom is this anger coming? And then no, I uh, oh, sorry, sorry. No, that, that's wrong. What, what I ask myself is, um, for okay. So one question that I ask myself if I'm feeling angry is, um, uh, uh, I'm not going to be able to describe it properly. Let me try my best. I, let's say I'm angry because um, someone crashed into my car. Then I'll say. Um, I'll say, am I angry? I'll say, is my body angry about this? Oh, I'll say, okay, I'm angry, but who is this I that's angry? Is it my body? And then I'll say, well, my body, there's just sensations in my body from this anger, let's say heat. Then I'll say, is it my mind? And then I'll say, yeah, but my mind is just thoughts. Thoughts yes. can't be angry of themselves. Arun, we need to take your mind out and slowly shoot it at dawn. <laughs> you, you, you're making it too complex. And, and really, it has to be simplified. Basically, if you're getting angry, it means you're being a victim of something, and that means you're supporting victim-orientated thinking. That's okay. one of the things that has to be challenged, because as long as we are victims of life, we take ourselves into lower consciousness. You just have to stop being a victim, which means accepting things the way they are, rather than resisting things the way they are.
Right. So I shouldn't question the... Because you're complicating it. You're just taking yourself further and further into your mind. And you have the ability to do that, but it's not the way. The way is to get out of the mind. And you get out of this sort of uh, contraction and anger by actually learning to not get angry. And we learn to not get angry by not supporting victim-orientated thinking because we can't be angry unless we've turned ourselves into a victim of something. I don't know. Are you still there, Arun? Or did I say something that really upset you? <laughs> I think we've lost the rune. Seems so. Um, the next question is, are we most likely to have awareness become aware of itself whilst practicing ambient awareness? No. Okay. Why do I have to understand my mind if I'm not my mind? Because it's in the way, and if you don't understand it, you can't remove it. It's simple. It's actually an obstacle. There are no other obstacles in the way of enlightenment except the mind, and the identified mind in particular, the I. There are no other obstacles. But if you don't actually understand it, you can't undo it. You can't remove the obstacle. And if you can't remove the obstacle, it's going to remain in the way. Sean has a question. Hey, Sean. Sean, you're muted. You're still muted, Sean, so I can't hear you if you are talking. Sorry, I can't hear you. Uh, you must have muted yourself at your end because you're definitely unmuted this side. Mahan, can you continue, please? Yes. Uh, sometimes when I sit silently, I find I contract over the smallest things, like a car driving past or a door slamming. Yet other times, those things don't bother me, and I can keep my attention on the breath. Why would this be? Lack of acceptance. Lack of tolerance in, in yourself. Lack of acceptance of what's happening. Have a look and see. Is it that you're uh, in acceptance of what's going on, or are you in non-acceptance of what's going on? What's the bet if you're contracting, you're in non-acceptance? And guess who's in charge of that? You. Because you're the one doing the non-acceptance. And so if you want to be open and you want to be okay with things, you have to be okay with things. You are the one in charge of you. You create your thoughts. Nobody else does it. You're accepting you. You're not accepting. The responsibility is totally yours. Why are thoughts not to be trusted? So I just started to examine my mind when I was a teenager because I realized that I'd been programmed um, by people who really were quite lost. And 
what I found was a lot of the belief systems that I've been programmed with, or another way of putting that is brainwashed with, were just not real. They were just not real. There was no evidence to support them. And so I started to not trust my mind because I recognized that it had been programmed badly. It had never been programmed for freedom. It had never been programmed for happiness. It had actually been programmed to be a problem solver and to be an efficient little machine at suffering. And so I decided to not trust it and to have throw doubt into just about everything it did. And in that doubt, I got to see the truth of what was real and what was not real. I got to see what I'd been brainwashed with and what was my own direct experience and my own direct knowing. And I chose to support my own direct experience and my own direct knowing over anything that had been introduced to me from the outside without evidence. How do I stop believing my thoughts without losing confidence in the world? Well, if you lose confidence, you lose confidence. What can I say? Uh, when you really examine your mind and you see how badly you've been programmed, you're going to lose confidence in your own mind too. Uh, I affectionately called my mind the bullshitter for many, many years because I recognized that it was a liar as well. Not just uh, full of belief systems that weren't true, but it also told itself lies to protect those belief systems and protect itself. And so... In doubting my own mind, I started to find freedom. How can I change from a dualistic focus of my thoughts and live more free of my mind? Well, you'd have to find awareness on awareness and uh, that's enlightenment. Um, that's brilliant. Because when awareness is aware of itself, there is no such thing as uh, duality. There is just one. But that's enlightenment. And that's what the seekers are attempting to achieve. Enlightenment. Finding themselves as that that is always here. That that doesn't, hasn't been born. That that does not die. That that is everything. And human beings can discover that. That's the quest of the seeker. Thank you for setting. Good to see you brave hearts here today.